Corinth was a major crossroads in the Roman uh, Empire. Uh, many things went through there, shipping. Um, there was a lot of education. Um, like I mentioned on Wednesday night, it was a stopping off place for the best speakers uh, to share uh, the best uh, get-ahead uh, information of the day. If you wanted to socially climb the ladder, pay and go to hear them speak. They went there. And then twice uh, or every two years, where the Olympics were held once a year or once every four years, they held the, uh, the Isthmus Games there in uh, Corinth every two years. And, and so there was a lot of athletics going on. In order for someone to be a part of the games, they had to commit at least 10 months of training before they could compete in the game. So if there was once every four years in, uh, in Athens, uh, every two years in uh, Corinth, and then there were one or two other places, someone could spend their life going from event to event and committing to training with very little time off. And so that's what we see here. And, and athletics were extremely important in there uh, as it is in our world, right? <laughs> uh, some of the most expensive things in the world are, are pro teams and how valuable they are. And if you follow college sports now, they've allowed it, our college kids to go and make money off of their name while they're in college. And there's some big money being made. So as today, athletics then were very important. Why this kind of lines up with Paul is that Paul had been knocked down and recruited by Jesus. And these people who would spend all this time training, the same thing had happened to Paul. You see, he didn't just get knocked down, and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and extremely educated and knowledgeable, and he just suddenly went and started spreading the word. If you go read your Bible, it says for two years, Jesus trained him. Jesus already died, but he took him alone and spent two years training him, and if you read further, it was another 12 years before he actually started on his missions trips and began to start churches. So one of the most educated people still had to be trained and taught God's ways. That brings us to where we're at. So that was the, the essence there. Now in the ninth chapter, he's begun to tell the Corinthians about his uh, giving over of his rights to God and how God led him to it. And some of that is why, how he uh, taught them in different ways. If you would, stand all over the house with me as we read uh, these four verses. Chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, verses 24 through thir thir uh, 27 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run? but only one receives the prize, so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this is your word. God, you've ordained your word. God, you've given it to us. You brought it to our mind. You quickened it to 
Lord, you've uh, grown this sermon out of it. And, Lord, we pray and ask you to apply it to our hearts and minds and souls. You would open us up, Lord, that you would uh, fill us with your spirit. God, we pray that your spirit would flow through this place. Uh, Lord, that we would not leave here the way we came in, but we would have a better understanding and draw near to you. Lord, if there's that one that's here that's unsaved, that's never accepted you, as their Savior. They've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. We pray they'd not leave here this morning that way. God, that one that's struggling, that one that's uh, fighting for the next uh, spiritual breath, God, we pray that you would uh, you would raise them up, you would renew them. Lord, that you would draw each one of us a, a step closer as we approach eternity, God, that we would realize the seriousness of uh, this race. We'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We see, uh, by the way, I want to address something, um, and then I'll move on. This divides the whole Christian world. But in verse uh, 27, it says, I, but, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. On the surface, I would tell you that this man could lose his salvation. And I understand that about 50-50 in the Christian world believe you can lose your salvation and others believe you can't. You read that and figure it out for yourself. I'm not going to explain it to you. God will work with you if you've got an open mind. Uh, I'm probably not qualified to go that deep into uh, uh, all the things it would take to explain all that. I believe how I believe, and I can't wait to spend eternity with you, however it uh, is. If you're not saved, you're not going to heaven, period. That being said, in verse 24, we see that it says uh, only one person receives the prize. Now, that doesn't mean that if we all went out and lined up, only one is going to get this prize. What it means is in your race, in your spiritual race, there's one prize, and it's up to you to finish the race and get that prize. That's what he's talking about here. It's not talking about there's a group of people or there's heats or something like that, and we build up and one person gets the prize. He's simply saying there is one prize, and it's up, for you, up to you to obtain it, to run the race. In verse 25, Paul states that all athletes have self-control, and they do it for a perishable wreath. They were racing for a wreath of leaves. Olive branches, I think, is what they would make them out of. They would perish. They would uh, essentially go back to dust after a while. They, they didn't last long. But that was the prize they were racing for. And the fact is, as Christians, that's not what we're racing for. Essentially, what he's saying is, if you're chasing the things of this world, they're going to perish. They're going to turn to dust. God has promised he's going to burn this earth up. It's going to go away. The fact is, when you die, you don't take anything with you. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. If you're chasing this world's goods, you're chasing the wrong thing. And it's essentially what he's saying here. Chase the imperishable. We are looking for the prize. We are looking for heaven. We are looking for a crown in heaven. I'm excited about that crown, and one of the main reasons I'm excited about it is I get to lay it at Jesus' feet. I get to give it back to him. I'm excited about that. I can't wait to go there and try it out. It's going to be exciting. 
never to have to give up, an imperishable prize. I want to walk streets of gold. Can you, um, I can't imagine. I've walked on marble. I've walked in unbelievable buildings, but I've never walked on gold. And they paved the streets with it up there. I can't wait to get there and try it out. In 1983, in Australia, they sanctioned a race. Someone sponsored it. Paul's talking about races here. And in Australia in 1983, I was 13 years old, and some of you weren't born. A bunch of you weren't. Because I look around, and then some of you were. But in 1983, there was a ultra marathon. They were going to run from Sydney, Australia, to Melbourne. It had been done before. It took about seven days to run 544 miles. If you wonder, that's a lot. I struggled to go 544 feet, and I'll be wiping sweat. And they were going to rush 544 miles. Man, they gathered people in the country of Australia in professional runners. There were 10 that were qualified to run. And those 10 gathered in for the inaugural race. They had the sign-up table there. And a large crowd had gathered to see these 10 racers off, professional racers, see what they could do. Out of the crowd stepped a skinny, stooped old man. He was wearing a long sleeve flannel shirt, overalls, he was a farmer, potato farmer, overalls, work boots, and rubber galoshes that came to his knee pulled up over him. And he walked up to the registration table to sign up. The people operating the the registration table thought it was a joke. It took him a while to convince them it was not. He registered. They pinned his number on the back of his overalls, and he headed for the start line. As he walked up, here you've got 10 professional runners. They're all sponsored. They've got the latest shirts that'll slide through the air, the little shorts, the newest tennis shoes with the best and newest technology, and they're ready to go. And upsets Cliff Young, and he's ready to go. He's ready to race. And the crowd begins to look. The, the, the racers looked at him like, what in the world, as any of us would? What's this guy think he's doing? What's he doing here? He's an old man. He, by the way, had taken his teeth out because they rattled when he ran. He looked a sight. He didn't fit. The crowd began to snicker when they realized this old man had actually registered and lined up to run. Cliff Young, 61 years old. The crowd is snickering at him. Then they begin to jeer, and someone yelled, get that fool off the track. And then they started the race, and they were off. As you would expect, Cliff didn't run like the other guys. They called it the Cliff Young Shuffle. He barely bent his arms. He was stooped. 
and he looked kind of funny in those big old rubber boots. It was barely above a walk, a fast walk, and yet it was a steady shuffle that really covered more ground than you realized it did. The first day moves on. At the end of the day, all of the other runners, the professional, 10 professional runners, are miles and hours ahead of Cliff. The accepted way to run the race was to turn off after 18 hours, sleep for six, so that you could prepare and rejuvenate to do it again the next day and again the next day, and it would take seven days to reach the other end. You see, Cliff should have quit right there. He was too far out of the, he wasn't going to catch him. His shuffle, there was no way for him to gain on them. This isn't so awful and different from the calling of God to your race. For you see, there was a prize at the end. And when we're called into ministry, and ministry doesn't mean necessarily standing behind this pulpit and talking to a crowd. Ministry means to minister to others, to serve others. And when you're called to ministry, often it's kind of an awkward thing. It's not real easy. It just doesn't come natural. But God has called us in life. And if you've answered it, I'll guarantee you this, your call won't look like anybody else's. Each call is an individual call. And yes, it may look a little awkward in the beginning. That's okay. God didn't call us for style points. Some will think we're crazy. Some of them will be your family. Some of them will be your friends and your neighbors. Those around you will think you're just a little crazy. Answering the call of God doesn't make sense in this earth's circles. We have to trust that God has called us. And if he's called us to it, he will see us through it. If he calls you to it, he'll see you through it. He has called each one of us to minister to others. When it feels like everyone is laughing and jeering, we need to remember this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 4, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for, the, who for the joy that was sent, set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. We need to understand that in our race, there is a cloud of witnesses. I'm not going to try to explain that. I'm not sure that I could. I know that there's no tears in heaven, but it almost seems that those that have gone on before us are cheering us on. They're witnessing 
our spiritual walk, and they're cheering us on. If not, God has put a witness of angels or someone around us. We are being cheered. We are being observed. We're not in this race alone. But there is a cloud of witnesses around us. It's not that we're by ourselves, and it's we may hear the world jeering and cheering against us, catcalling us, but the fact is, There is a cloud of witnesses around us, and they're cheering us. We must lay everything aside that has to do with this earth. There is nothing in this world worth missing the next. If it affects you, whatever is in your mind, whatever you're struggling with turning loose and giving to God must be given to him. Eternal life and the finishing heaven is the prize. We must run with endurance. There's no quitting. Quitting is not an option. The prize, we must stay focused on it. Jesus ran this race before us. Tells us right here. He ran this race before us. He has laid a path. He suffered shame and crucifixion. In the first chapter, as we're studying about uh, the Corinthians, They said the crucifixion was so gruesome that in upper crust circles, they wouldn't even talk about it. It was so bad. In polite company, it couldn't be brought up. That's the the death that Jesus chose for you and I. He paid for our sins. He has laid a path. He has laid a way for us to follow. And guess what? You know what his prize is? He's sitting at the right hand of the Father today because he was faithful in it. And you and I will be his prize. We'll be the final piece of his prize as Christians to join him in heaven. We should expect to be jeered with hostility. We should expect the world to come against us. But don't go weary in your struggle because I'm not aware of any of us in this room that have shed blood yet for it. We may before it's over with, and if we do, God will give us the grace. But this life hasn't cost us any blood yet. It may, but it hasn't yet. At the end of the first night, Cliff stopped to rest like everyone else. He was just miles behind them. Couldn't see them. Didn't know where they were at. Nobody was paying any attention to him. Nobody had, now the race was on. The oddity uh, and the, uh, you know, the fame quickly that uh, this old man started the race had faded. Nobody was talking about him. He was forgotten. The real race was on. Cliff turned in like everyone else. He had a manager like everyone else. Um, they needed a car to follow them um, in case of issues. They turned in and went to bed. Just so happens his manager, um, one of his friends who was helping him, was very nearsighted and apparently had taken his glasses off. And when he set the alarm that night, he set it wrong. And it went off two hours later. And Cliff got up and took off running. 
it's too late. He was already gone, so they packed everything up and followed him. When daylight broke and the other 10 competitors woke up, Cliff was in first place. He had shuffled past them while they slept through the night. Now, they weren't really worried about him. They expected him to wear out. He was 61 years old. He wouldn't have the stamina to stay out there, and he wasn't going fast enough, so he would probably catch him and pass him very soon. And the word had already come back that Cliff was on his last legs. He'd probably drop out soon. In James, the first chapter in the 12th verse, it says this, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What trials are you dealing with? What trials are in your life? Stay focused. There's a prize to win. Is it easy? No, it's not supposed to be. Stay focused. Whatever's going through your mind right now, whatever you're dealing with, Stay focused. There's a prize to win. Don't be distracted. Finish the race. Finish the race. Stay pointed forward. If we love God, trust him and believe. I don't know how it's going to work out. He does. He's in control. And if we'll trust him, the outcome becomes less important. Fall in love with him. Follow Jesus Give your life to him, and what happens is not so important. Now everybody wanted to know who Cliff Young was. Who is this old boy that's shuffling along, and he's leading the race? He was insignificant yesterday. He was an oddity, a goofball. He looked goofy. He didn't have any teeth. He's dressed funny. But he had a purpose, and he was in the race. Who is Cliff Young? Cliff Young was born in 1922 in the outback bush, in the bush of Australia. He was born on a sheep farm. He was the firstborn of a family that had 2,000 sheep on 2,000 acres of land. He had never lived anywhere, but in uh, Victoria, I believe, was the uh, province that he was born in. They never owned a car or a tractor. When storms would roll in, even as a young uh, teenager growing up, someone would have to go get the sheep. And it might take two or three days of running over the hills in the bush to bring the sheep in. But he stated, I never failed. I always got them. At 49 years old, Cliff decided he liked running. Not that he hadn't already been doing it all his life, but he decided he just wanted to do it. And he began to run. He didn't like to get his feet wet. And his clothes were overalls and flannel shirts and work boots. So he put his galoshes on or his rubber boots over the top of them. And he ran 15 to 18 miles every day before breakfast. I want to take you back and remind you that Paul spent 14 years preparing to go start churches. Cliff Young wasn't preparing for anything. He enjoyed running. He was a potato farmer, sheep farmer. 
For 12 years, he ran 15 to 18 miles every morning before breakfast because he liked his family, his neighbors, his friends thought he was crazy. Why in the world would you do that? I kind of agree with him. I buy breakfast first at least. In 1983, training for 12 years in his overalls and his gumboots. When asked during the race, he stated, they asked him, the media began to gather around him and when, sometimes they would run beside him to interview him. Why are you doing this? What are you, what's your plan? What's your platform? What's your this? And he just said, I just thought I could do it. What about your Christian walk? Do you just think you can do it? Can you follow God? Are you willing to give over your I just think I can do it. I think I can believe in God. I don't believe in me. I don't believe in my abilities, but I believe in God. I just believe that I can make it. That's kind of the Christian life in a nutshell. When nobody else believes in us, remember God has called us. He's called us to this race. He set us on this course. He laid a path before us. And it's up to us to believe it and to follow him. In Philippians 4.13, one of the most overused and probably misused scriptures in the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If we ever truly grasp this truth, no matter how overused and misused this scripture is, God will use us. When we learn that it's our strength... It's God's strength, not our strength. We'll find that our strength and our stamina will go beyond anything we could ever do on our own. You ever been involved in something, you're trusting God, and when it's all said and done, it's like you can't believe that it went on? Or are you in the midst of something right now and you feel a peace and you just can't understand how? It's God. It's the Holy Spirit. He said he'll indwell us. If you're not experiencing that this morning, you can. It's about believing in him and trusting him and turning our lives over to him and following the race and the path that he's laid before us. Follow Jesus. He'll take us places we've never dreamed of doing. He'll help us do things we've never dreamed of doing. Sometime during that first day of running, Cliff did change out of those overalls. He had uh, packed along um, in, in his chase car a baggy T-shirt. He did have some running shoes, and uh, he had some running pants. He didn't put on the shorty shorts. He put on long pants, and he cut holes all over. There's actually video. If you find it, um, you can see he cut holes, he said, for ventilation in his pants, and he began to continue to run like that. As they approached about the 480-mile mark, up to four of the professionals dropped out. They had not caught, they had not caught him. They had not caught Cliff. They couldn't catch him. See, Cliff just didn't quit. He was willing to run without sleep. And they were highly trained and stopped to get their sleep and rest. But sleep and rest wasn't an option for Cliff. He slept a total of about 15 hours 
over five days. They searched through his duffel bag of stuff that he had brought, and he mostly lived on pumpkin seeds and water for that race. He didn't have the latest uh, nutrition bars and drinks. He lived on pumpkin seeds and water. You see, as these competitors began to drop out, there was a newfound admiration for Cliff. They just thought he was amazing. They couldn't believe it. He should have dropped out. He was 61 years old. He shouldn't have been able to do what he was doing. But he just kept doing it. The media became aware. One of the guys, as they interviewed him because they would get up beside these racers or they would catch them as they were resting or eating something and they would interview them. One of the competitors in his last few steps before he quit, they asked him what he was thinking. And what he was thinking is, Cliff is amazing and my legs hurt and everything hurts and my hamstrings hurt. And when they asked Cliff what he was thinking, he was thinking about the shower and the shave and the food at the end of the prize. But the rest of them were looking at his back and they were thinking about how bad things hurt. They all had the same pain at this point. But are your eyes on the fo- focused on the prize? Cliffs were. Oh, it hurt. It hurt like the rest of them. In fact, he's 61 years old. I'll guarantee he had arthritis. I know because I'm not there and I do. I know that he was dealing with potentially, in fact, on the first night while the rest of them slept and he's running through the dark, he stumbled on a rock, fell, and separated his shoulder. But he got up and he went on. And the same thing happens in our Christian lives. You're going to fall down. Something in the dark is going to get in your way and you're going to stumble and mess it up. And you're going to end up with a separated shoulder, a knot on your head, or something else. But are you going to get up and go on? That's what Cliff did that night, and that's what Christians that are focused on a prize do. Really doesn't matter what happens to us. What matters is where we're going. We find Cliff is beat up. He's hurting like the rest of them. The difference is he never quit. One guy, as they were interviewing him, said, I just want to get in the car and lay down and go to sleep. It hurts. And a few minutes later, he did. Only seven of the original 11 that started finished the race. As I said, the media had become aware of what was going on, and suddenly Cliff had a scrutiny that he had never planned on or ever seen coming. Suddenly, there was a lot more attention and a lot of firsts were happening for Cliff. He just stayed true to himself. He didn't know how to handle it necessarily. But we see in Galatians chapter 2 and the second verse, it says, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Paul here is talking about his time before he went on his uh, missionary journeys. He went before the disciples. And what you would find here in studying this is 
Not many years before this, Paul was trying to kill all these people. They were a little worried about having him on the team. And Paul, who was Saul, became Paul, had spent two years with Jesus, 12 years preparing, and now came before the council. He came before the disciples, and they examined him privately, by the way, not publicly so everybody, they weren't just going to take a chance on Paul, but they spent time with him. And what we see is that in spite of the fact, when he walked into that room, by the way, Paul was the most educated man among that group. And yet he subjected himself to the authority of the council and or the heads of the church. And so often what we see uh, in this light is that new Christians, they come in, they get saved, there's a lot of zeal, they're excited, and we don't want to tamper that. So what I have to say is not to tamper that whatsoever. In fact, it's to encourage it. But so often what will happen is they just want to go out and go do. And that's wonderful. But when you go on your own like that, so often the devil will smack you with things you don't see coming. And you need to subject yourself to an authority, to have those around you. And that's what Paul did here before he started uh, all of his missionary journeys and went everywhere that he went was to subject himself and to meet with the council so that he could uh, be prepared uh, and ready. While not apples to apples, that's what happened with Cliff. Suddenly, he's got media attention he never had. He had to run within the rules of a race that he had never ran. You see, he just got up every morning. He ran wherever he wanted, when he wanted, as long as he wanted. There weren't any rules. But now, in this race, he had to follow a course. He had to follow a path. There were things that he had to do. Um, if he stopped, they had to set a flag where he'd stopped, so he went back and started again. There were different rules. He never dealt with those rules. And often as new Christians, we'll see the same thing and the struggle to deal with those new rules. It's important that whether we're old or young Christians, that we subject ourselves to an authority, that we have some mentors around us. And that was what was going on um, here as we watched. Cliff did finish the race, 61 years old. As Cliff was coming in to Melbourne, finishing up 544 miles, Cliff, you know, they had heard that he was on his last legs, and he was. I seen a video of Cliff walking out to his flag sitting on the side of the road to start. And his team walked him out to it and had to tell him which direction to turn to run. He was swaying in the wind. You could see he was, he was near delirium. He was staggering. But they put him on the path. They said, you run on this side of the road, follow this line, and go. And that's what Cliff did. For the last 30 miles coming into Melbourne, the whole country had heard about. You might have been the racing community as it started, but as the media began to report, they began to hear what was coming to Melbourne. They began to realize that something special was happening. For 30 miles, thousands of people, 30 miles on the way into Melbourne, thousands of people lined the streets to cheer 
Cliff Young. 500 miles back, they were jeering him, telling him to get the fool off the road. What a difference 500 miles makes. And as he headed into the city, they're cheering him. Oh, it's still the old cliff shuffle. He's being over. His arm's barely moving, barely above, about a trot. That's what he's in. But he's winning the race. The professionals aren't in sight. They can't keep up with him. The mayor was waiting for him. The prime minister of the country, essentially the president, had heard about it, and he shows up. He said, every day, everywhere I go, it's all about me. But today it's about Cliff. Cliff was coming into town. He finished. Man, did he finish at the same pace. Trotted right in, finished up. A race that took seven days to run, Cliff did it in five days and 14 hours He took two days off of that race. Incredible. Nobody had ever done it before. Not only that, his competitors who didn't drop out of the race, the second place one was 10 hours behind him, but every one of them broke the old record. And let me tell you something. When you're the one that will step forward and follow the path and go for the prize, it'll raise the water level around you. And others will start to grab on and go, I want to go where that person's going. I want to be a part of what that person's a part of. Why? He was an exception. One of the guys that dropped out of the race later went and lived with Cliff just to learn his technique and how he ran. Oh, he was never been taught. He'd never been coached. He didn't know how to run. He didn't have the correct. By the way, that Cliff shuffle is now used to run ultra marathons. Wasn't taught to him. He learned it. I want you to think about the Christian race. Maybe you're awkward. Maybe you look funny. Maybe you sound funny. Maybe you dress funny. Maybe you're not cool. Maybe you're not qualified. But when God calls you to this race... It doesn't matter. He only needs obedience. He only needs those that are willing to make themselves available that won't quit. Quitting is not an option. They ask him during the race, why'd you do it? He didn't have a platform. He wasn't about politics. He wasn't trying to show up the latest equipment. He just simply said, I thought I could do it. I thought I could do it. Wish I had an Australian brogue to say that. He just thought he could do it. You see, while he was socially awkward, he wasn't well educated, he had three things you can't teach. He had focus. He was focused on a prize. By the way, he didn't even know what that prize was. That wasn't why he entered. He didn't enter to win the prize. He entered to win. (laughs) He had endurance, and he wasn't born with it. 
He had developed it over 12 years, not knowing why. I wonder how many of us are being prepared and don't know why. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. It doesn't matter your education or anything else. I wonder what God is preparing you for. And in light of that, are we being faithful or have we given up? Have we dropped out of the race? I can't be used because I don't have all the qualifications. Let me tell you, God doesn't need your qualifications. What he needs is you and your obedience. And the third thing he had was desire. And you can't replace desire. Sometimes talent will defeat, defeat it. But without it, you'll not be successful. And Cliff had desire. He just thought he could. When he crossed the race, as I said, second place was 10 hours behind him. He only stretched out his lead. It only got longer as he went. The prize, which he didn't know what it was when he started the race, was $10,000. Doesn't sound like a lot of money, and yet it's a lot of money. But Cliff had never made more than $2,000 in a year. That's about what he lived on. So $10,000 was a lot of money. You know what he did? He gave it to the other competitors. He equally divided that $10,000 out among the other competitors. The sponsors heard about it and replaced the $10,000 and gave it to him. He went home with $10,000. Awkwardly social, uneducated. Nobody thought he was prepared, but he ran his race. And I would say spiritually this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never started your race. You don't even know what God has prepared for you. But if you have started your race, stay focused. Don't let up. doesn't matter how fast you're going. doesn't matter how pretty it is. It just matter. It doesn't matter if you've fallen down, you've been injured. It doesn't matter. What matters, are you focused on the prize? Are you going where God's called you? Are you doing what he's asked you to do? Are you willing to? Or have you dropped out of the race? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 36 and 39 say, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For let a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteousness, one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. But we are of those who have faith and persevere their souls. Folks, no shrinking back. Listen, I don't want to diminish how tough your battle is, has been, will be. No shrinking back. I'm telling you, you're never more powerful than when you put your faith in God, when you trust Him. The old saying, the devil trembles when he sees the weakest Christian on their knees. 
get in the word, get on your knees, trust God. Just because it's not going right, Cliff should have quit the first day. But this is your race. Where are you going to go? No shrinking back. Quitting is not an option. If you would, stand all over the house this morning. There is a prize to win. And I challenge you, if you're here this morning and you've never been saved, get in the race. Jesus paid the price. He's laid the path. Join the race. He has things for you to do. He has peace and power. And he has things for you to do.